but I keep just reminding myself if I ever feel kind of down about the, the retaliation and backlash that any pain or isolation that I feel like is completely shadowed by the people I'm trying to kind of help in yeah, a way 100%. and some of the personal picking apart of their lives that happens online is just absolutely horrific. Hey, you're listening to the District Conversations podcast. Today on the show, Tara Stewart will be speaking with founder of the Appeal Project, Anna Cosby. Um, I'm here with Anna Cosgrave, and we're going to have a bit of a chat on District Podcasts. Hi, Anna. Hey. Do you want to move in a tiny, tiny, tiny? Oh, my too far away. There we go. Perfect. It kind of feels like we're on a first date. Which <laughs> we're is what really you close. About. Yeah. Um, so, firstly. Um, I'm sure a lot of people know who you are. Um, you're the woman behind the Repeal Project. I want to ask you, how did the Repeal Project come about in the first place? Um, short answer is I was really restless and wanted to contribute to the abortion rights movement in Ireland. The kind of long story is in 2012, I was in college and when Savita passed away, I went to the vigil and I was standing outside government buildings with a candle just like so incredibly haunted with um, loads of women and then I went back to my dorm and the kind of irony was is that I had been studying a lot about pregnancy and childbirth but wasn't really aware how many uh, Irish women were leaving a day to access abortion and on the same night I'd seen Gloria Steinem wearing a t-shirt that said I had an abortion and I imagined if that had happened in Ireland, you know, the next day, how would people react to someone just very casually saying that they'd had an abortion? And then fast forward to last year, went to a talk that her.ie were running and there was women there that were sharing their stories. And what kind of talk was it? It was on the Eighth Amendment. Okay. And so they had various different speakers, but women were standing up and sharing their stories. And that was what moved me the most. And it was that twinned with Colm O'Gorman from Amnesty saying... You know, to try and challenge, challenge. Sorry, <laughs> word vomit. Try and channel your your um, anger into positive ways offline rather than online. Being that online echo chamber, so just yeah, took advice from people and then just played around with some designs and went for it. Yeah, and did you get the? Did you design the repeal yourself? Yeah, so I don't have kind of technical design skill, but I played around with different fonts and then one of my friends who's an actual graphic designer lifted it onto a mock-up but I'd been really inspired I'd looked at like old um suffrage magazines and I had seen this amazing image uh, of a woman in <laughs> chainmail, and she had justice written like across her uh, across her chest and I just thought something really simple could or might resonate with people and what was when you first put the first batch online how many did you actually have physical the first box I bought with a loan from my housemate was like 25 for mm-hmm. my friends in a photo shoot with a photography student. So they, they bought them there. I kind of forced them to. <laughs> and then for the first batch, her.ie uh, gave me a tiny bit of money. But I think there was about maybe 200 or so. Mm-hmm. But then as people were queuing then? up online... It just racked up pretty pretty fast, um, a, couple, a couple thousand. Yeah. Yeah, but I haven't sold them in a while just because I've been, you know, meeting with lots of people and kind of really thinking long-term how Repeal a Project can fit in with the pro-choice movement in Ireland and how best 
to educate and reinform people who otherwise wouldn't wear jumpers. So mm-hmm. I've kind of just been thinking, uh, so over the summer, kind of working a lot more on outreach. Yeah. I mean, there's so many jumpers across the country now um, that, like, so many um, that I'd say, for now it's safe, but, like, I think there's some for sale in Nine Crows as well um, here and in Galway as well. So if anyone does want to get them. Oh, they um, they were there for December, but, yeah, haven't. They've gone gone, yeah. But um, I think the plan had been the same night as the gig in the Olympia on the 23rd of April, we were going to hopefully open the shop again but if not just keep an eye on the website cool and tell me a bit on that note about the gig like Mary Black and David Gray like when I saw that I was like oh my god (laughs) and like I would have grown up with Mary Black and David Gray even in Australia like my mum being absolutely obsessed with the both of them and I think she had a mad crush on David Gray as well um she's probably mortified when she listens to this going oh my god your father's gonna listen to this as well but how did you approach them to cup to play in the Olympia um really lucky in that an amazing team um kind of wanted to help with the gig and so Aoife Woodlock who produces other voices and she recently produced produced Young Blood kind of came on board to volunteer to help and really it was it was through her she was kind of the link or the one degree of separation and she's just put together an amazing, yeah, an amazing gig. And it is exciting to have Mary Black and David Gray because they're slightly, they appeal to a wider uh, audience, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, they're, they've been around for a very, very long time. So they have a, a huge audience there. And um, I mean, as the figurehead for the project, how do you deal with the you'd probably get this daily, which the trolls, um, the, yeah, the trolls basically, keyboard warriors, Again, with against you basically yeah it's such a funny one because obviously with the proliferation of social media it has made it much easier for people to campaign and to communicate and you know to build a kind of a positive uh, project yeah. but then there's that horrible vitriolic offensive reaction and it's such an emotive issue it can be a bit intimidating especially when you know trolls they are actual people but can have multiple profiles yeah, yeah and they can they can go at it but i suppose i've just surrounded myself with really amazing people i can turn to but yeah i'd be a titanium robot if i said sometimes it isn't really isolating and terrifying oh, like my, 100%. my facebook got hacked but unrelated i think to repeal but it was the first time I thought I was like, they're going to mine information about repeal and shut it down. <laughs> so did someone log into your Facebook? There was five created? people logged in. It, apparently it happens quite re- regularly. I was in contact with Facebook Ireland and they were really, really helpful. But yeah, it was like five people in Palestine. So everything started changing to Arabic. They started adding thousands of people and they set That's up so kind of weird. a different group. Yeah. So were they doing it as part of repeal or just in general? Uh, apparently it was unrelated, but okay. obviously in that moment you think... Yeah, yeah, then that's a step too far. Yeah. Because um, I know people, a lot of people's like Snapchats and stuff get hacked. Um, but yeah, that's insane. That boggles me. I mean, I've had, I don't get, well, I'm not on radio as uh, as much, say, like Monday to Friday where I, and I do it for like months and months. I'm here, bits and pieces. Um, but I got my first like annoying hater. hater on Twitter not on Twitter sorry on the text line and I don't think people realise in radio when well in 2FM at least we've got like four computers in front of us and one of them is the text lines coming through so we as a presenter we can see everything coming through and so I got this I was on radio in the morning on a Sunday a few weeks ago and 
I, Dave Fanning was up after me. He was on at nine. And then at like half eight in the morning, I get a text in and the person says, um, when is Dave Fanning coming on air? If I have to listen to a colonial, I want it to be an Irish one. And I saw that message and I was fuming. Yeah, it, it, hit, it hits you. Yeah, it's, like especially because... It's, it's, dir- it's directed personally yeah. and professionally exactly. at you. And... Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I don't, that person, I don't even, like, they probably thought, oh, I'm sending this to, like, the the management or your director. But it's like, you actually sent that to me. I'm the one that's looking at these messages. And I was so angry. And I had a song playing, and it was, like, a three-minute song. And I was like, right, I'm ready. I know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to go mental this person on air. I'm not going to let them get away with this. And I thought in my head, like, this person's being racist, assuming, like, obviously from my accent, like, that I'm from Australia. But I wanted to say, like, I'm actually, you are assuming that I'm just, like, some kind of foreigner or something um you but never have to explain I'm, yourself, i know though. and it's yeah but i was hard. ready to i was like i'm half irish i'm actually an irish citizen blah 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 i've been here six years but then i thank god the song we're still going i was looking at the clock and i was like right the song's almost finished i'm ready and i was like actually you know what this is the worst thing to do is to actually address this person uh because they're going to be delighted if I call them out. They'd be like, yes, this person called me out. I've just made her mad or something like that. So I took a moment and I was like, I went to an ad break just because I needed a bit more time. That was like a minute. And then I just ignored it. I was yeah. like, you know what? I think the, like, yeah, the reacting no versus responding. Uh, Uma Thurman's father, Robert Thurman, is like the head of Tibetan and Buddhist studies in Colombia. And he's written loads of papers with Cheryl Salzberg, not to be confused with Cheryl Sandberg from okay. Facebook. But papers on and it sounds so lofty and kind of really weird but about loving your enemies and I think as hard as it is sometimes and even I mean I was in the audience of the Pat Kenny show recently and then in the green room I could actually hear young anti-choicers kind of calling me names physically in the room oh my god so that I suppose you just you're, you're knowing that people want you to go away but I keep just reminding myself if I ever feel kind of down about the, the retaliation and backlash that any pain or isolation that I feel like is completely shadowed by the people I'm trying to kind of help in yeah, a way. 100%. And some of the personal picking apart of their lives that happens online is just absolutely horrific. Yeah. It's so bad. It's just so intense and constant, both in in the media um yeah and on and on twitter which is mental but what you're doing is a a great cause and you know fair play to you for being basically the the face of it (laughs) so i mean how on that note as well actually how frustrating is it for you to see pro-lifers post essentially fake news about abortions onto social media i'm so glad to be answering that question today because Mm. Ellen Coyle for the Sunday Times has just you know released a a video where she I'm not sure if it's her or another journalist goes undercover to um, Ask Magella which is a crisis pregnancy service where uh, women can go for advice and in that video you will see the absolute misinformation the scaremongering and the really really bad coercion that's happening and I'm just so glad that that's come out because can you imagine how often that's happening mm. but they're again just complete lies about linking abortion with breast cancer they're talking about having to get organs removed saying that you know you'll never be able to resurrect the baby like really bad kind of bullying and it's something I constantly am reminded it's like 
you know, people sometimes take issue with how the pro-choice or the pro-choice kind of movement are approaching the campaign at this point. But what will it take for the other side? Like how many lies are they going to have to spread before it's enough? Because mm. their credibility doesn't seem to get tarnished too much. Yeah, that's that's the thing, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of would have expected post to baby scandal coming out that again, there'd be more of a just collective outrage yeah. that it's the same institutions that are still controlling women's bodies that enslaved and kidnapped women who had babies out of wedlock and that th- some of those babies died and were dumped in a mass septic pit grave Mm. so that can be really frustrating and I think as well the momentum and the power that the other side has in terms of their affiliation with the church the pro-choice movement doesn't have like a church or or a hall um, in every county in Ireland so that kind of mobilisation and spreading of information you can get quite worried I mean like some of the videos that came out from say the youth defence you can see the amount of maybe money that was put into producing them Mm. and behind them so that can be scary like when they were linking the repeal projects to the holocaust (laughs) slavery it just shows like money that's it you know yeah that's when you've got loads of money pumping behind you um it's yeah you can just spread like wildfire I think Donald Trump is a perfect example of that yeah um unfortunately and I actually was uh, reading this interview with the Gorillas, David Albrand, and he was saying that he wrote, that he's got their new album coming out this month, I think it is, and he wrote the album last year, and he said, oh, I wanted to imagine what would be the worst thing that would ever happen to this world, and he's like, Donald Trump being president, that would be the worst thing to ever happen. And then he was raging when it actually happened, he was like, oh, I'm shite. I know. <laughs> okay. I know. Um, now, from the outset, you mentioned that the campaign to repeal the Eighth Amendment would be a long, a very long journey. Since the last time uh, you spoke with the guys here in District in July, how much closer do you think Ireland is with this happening? Well, you know, it's inevitability that it's going to happen. Um, it's just kind of the, the timing and the delay tactics. I mean, even just the insult that a citizens' assembly was formed, you know, so a mini government was made out of members of the public to then report back to the government. Now, the Citizens' Assembly um, on April 23rd, ironically, on the same day as the fundraiser gig for appeal, uh, will meet. And from that, from what they propose, there's now a joint Oroctus committee being made of 16 members who will then present pre- present to the Dáil with recommendations. So it's just this kind of passing along. I do think... You know, a lot of people say I would be in contact a lot with Alva Smith, who's the convener of the coalition, which is an alliance of 80 80 pro-choice organisations. And there is so much work kind of behind the scenes being done on this re-education and like looking towards building a referendum campaign. And that's kind of my plan with Repeal Project is it isn't just, you know, fundraising and visibility you know, the, the, the money fundraised from the jumpers is actually going to be put into, you know, an all-Ireland uh, messaging campaign. Like, there's definitely, like, long-term thinking. It's yeah. not just a kind of an agitative act of civil disobedience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just let, let it fizzle out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it is hard for anyone, whether they're loosely or heavily involved in the campaign, to keep that momentum and enthusiasm. It's extremely, for anyone, emotionally, mentally, even physically uh, draining. Yeah, it's exhausting and very draining, yeah. It feels like, 
uh, with the marriage referendum, that felt like it was, I think because there was a specific time from when that was happening, everyone was like, yeah, that's what we're working towards. But it's hard to imagine um, like when it's actually going to happen. It's just really, really frustrating. Um, and uh, since the project has started, what was the most difficult aspect to handle? What has been? I think it's the more information you're coming in contact with and the more women that you're meeting and the kind of scale and magnitude that you realise uh, this issue, like just how massive it is, that's kind of what's been the most difficult as... Because I was like, you know, an outsider. I wasn't meeting with women weekly that had travelled. Even though I was so passionate about it, it wasn't my lived reality. Whereas now it's just... You know, you do you do take things kind of personally and you feel for these women when there are news items that are, you know, speaking not in their best interests and when there are people, you know, just being like attacking them. I think mm. that's that's just really difficult. Yeah, I think as well, just when people are calling uh, pro-choice campaigners, baby murderers, that also is just so deeply insulting. Yeah. You know, and even when they say it without using those words, mm. it's just so, you feel so conflicted because I am completely pro the life of women and children. I want women and children to have the best opportunity and the best chance in life and the best circumstance. And I care so much uh, about autonomy and freedom. It's just really, even though you know it's preposterous and so ridiculous, sometimes I remember walking to the strike for repeal and there was stickers um, of kind of a silhouette of someone wearing a repeal jumper throwing a baby in a bin. And even though it's just, I've seen it before, yeah, but it was yeah, just, yeah. especially on the way to the strike, just visually seeing it again. Yeah. can be a bit, a bit cruddy. Mm. And I mean, the, what about the reverse PR angle for the campaign? What's the plan for that? Yeah, so when I started Repeal Project, I didn't want to use influencers or bloggers. I wanted to meet women who had travelled and I wanted people who already are pro-choice. They didn't need convincing yeah. that this was an issue. So I've kind of, little by little, been drip-feeding, you know, this is launching on Instagram or on the Facebook and kind of the media have very kindly picked things up. And I think that's good because by the time I really want to have a press campaign all around the kind of factual educational information and I'm hoping to link up with people in the World Health Organization, the UN, then I can send like really big press releases. Yeah. But I just didn't want to constantly be kind of spamming or asking favors it's just very organically happened yeah and then what's happening what's the plan then for the rest of the foreseeable future at the moment what's in the works for the repeal project um so over the summer gonna launch businesses for repeal so pre-referendum identify like ten thousand pro-choice businesses so when there is a referendum you know they can all advertise on their windows or it just again normalizes the issue mm -hmm. if your local bakery or hairdresser stands in support of your decisions then as well as that launching 12 reasons 12 women 12 walls so it's kind of a mural and an information campaign that will be across ireland and that will tie in then with things on the site mm -hmm. And, yeah, there's a few things then by the time the March happens next year um, and jumpers and hopefully a few more products just because they are a very kind of tangible visibility mechanism, mm. you know. 
yeah, so bits of that. Great. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, Anna. Thanks, Tara. And thank you for the it's date. Like date. Are you paying <laughs> for the date or am I paying for the date? Um, we'll split it. Yeah, gender <laughs> equality and the acceptable amount of chivalry. No, I'm not paying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not paying. <laughs>